streaming. How many times can I say live streaming? Hello, everyone. You are with Max McGillivray, Editor-in-Chief of BeSort Global. We are with the illustrious Mark Campbell and the even more illustrious Nick Davis. Mark, say hello. Nick, say hello. Good morning, all. Um, Max. Good morning. Yes. So we have to, Nick, we have to mention that, that there's one of us who's trying to make a bit of a show and a dance, Nick. Do, can, Nick, can you work out who that is? Uh, I think it's Mark. He looks like he's fallen from the set of Elf. <laughs> <laughs> we, we'd ask him to stand up, but he already is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he might only have a jumper on as well, Max. Yeah. So, yes. But, yes. Then that's oh, another story. Right. Come on. Let me do the serious bit. <laughs> How are we going to do this one? Okay, so today it is uh, on our regular broadcast series with the fantastic AHDB Talking Leaders broadcast series. We have got the uh, brilliant Nick Davis, who's going to tell us all about negotiation, how to get the results that uh, that you want. And as you can see, some of us have got sort of uh, end of term fever as we're as we're running towards <laughs> towards Christmas. Uh, Nick, on that basis, what do you want for Christmas from uh, from Mark? Because I want scale electrics. What do you want, Nick? Oh, do, do, do you want to support a decent football team, Nick? Do you know what? I would like Flight Deck, uh, which was a very old toy from the 70s Flight Deck, which I never, ever had because my mum couldn't afford it. That's what I would like, Flight Deck. We had to land a little yellow Phantom aeroplane. The piece I, I with, a Yorkie, with a Yorkie lorry. Yeah, why not? Well, OK. And, and Mark, on that basis, what do you want Nick and I to give you for Christmas? Oh, crumbs. Um, new pair of slippers. <laughs> well, well, if we all survive this, uh, we, we will happily organise that for for you. Okay, so uh, we are live on LinkedIn. We're live on uh, on uh, Facebook. We're live on YouTube, and we're live on Twitter. For all those in the in the wacky world of uh, podcasts, um, hello. We know how important it is to be inspired by by both big businesses and individuals, which is why we're excited to present this Talking Leaders uh, series, an ongoing initiative from the AHDB, which sees um, a series of inspirational speakers share their life experiences and deliver impactful stories to the agri leader community. And we we say this, Mark, every time we've had some amazing uh, people on um, previously, and, and we've learned. Um, so so much from it, um, Nick. I caught up with uh, with Mark for the first time in uh, in person at, uh, at an event recently in Peterborough, Peterborough uh, Showground called Crop Tech, and uh, uh, Mark and I did a, a bit of bit of filming on there, just extolling the virtues of um, of what we've all, all created. And Mark, I don't know if I, I told you of these six seven video interviews on the day I did at Crop Tech. Uh, yours was the most watched. There you go. Yeah, and, and we're, still try, we're still trying to work out why. Was it because of the AHDB? Was it because of you? Or was it a combination of? And we've had a lot of positive comments um, about you coming in, Mark, as to um, how professional you are, but also um, how much you resemble the drum roll, the the, the farmer from Sean and uh, Sean, Sean the Sheep. <laughs> Have you ever had that before? Now you're not. Yes, many a time. And my students <laughs> in my previous <laughs> career actually created a model, which I should have dug out, of said farmer from Sean the Sheep. Excellent. Yeah, but uh, th thank you for doing that short video for us, because again, it's just extolling the, the virtues of this uh, broadcast series that we're, we're, we're doing. So let, let's get into the nuts and bolts of um, of Mr. Davis, because we're very lucky to, to have him on, on board. And this is especially so for, for those people on the podcast who won't be able to, to see, see Nick. So we just want to, again, extol the background and the, and the virtues of, uh, of Nick. So Nick Davis, he's going to discuss uh, today with us negotiation, how to get the results that you want. Nick is the author of How to Be Great at the Stuff You Hate, The Straight Talking Guide to Persuading, Selling and Networking. He's also a trainer of communication skills to members of the Royal Household and a visiting lecturer, lecturer at University College Dub Dublin Smurfit Business School. He is also the co-founder and director of the training, coaching and consultancy company. Nick, over to you. Tricres. Thank you. Whilst his background is in field and retail sales, as well as being called to the bar in November 1999 and briefly working as a lawyer, he has been a trainer and speaker since 2006. And that's such a hard gig to do uh, on an ongoing uh, basis and to, to do it to, to, so professionally. Over the years, he's accumulated a wealth of experience training the likes of uh, lawyers, accountants, fund managers, senior managers and civil servants from the exceptional junior to the incredibly senior on how to sell, persuade, close, speak, present, negotiate, network and develop business, either one to one or in large groups, both in the UK and internationally. Over the past few years, he's worked 
works and shared stages with a huge raft of recently well-known people, including the Right Honourable Michael Portillo, Sir Digby Jones, Jenny Bond, Kate uh, Adele, Kate, Kate Adele, Adele, and, and Adele, he's been with Ada, uh, Roger Black, MBE, Alan Hansen, Asta Campbell, and now Mark Campbell and Max McGillivray. Nick, have we have we have we apportioned you? Have we have we uh, presented you in a in a, in a in a in a forthright manner? Or is there anything more that you can add for us, please? Uh, I am a winner of a blue pizza badge <laughs> when I was nine. Um, and what was that for, please? It was my artistic representation of the abominable snowman, and it was made out of Fildar wool that my mum had left over, and she wrapped it all up, and we sent it to. Uh, to Blue Peter and I, and I got a badge. Fantastic. So Nick, we do ha we do have a lot of uh, graduates on, and they always ask the same same question: What is the background of the speakers uh, that you have on? And I've given a quick uh, a quick summary, but just run run through your background so that um, those graduates and all of us can learn as to how how you got yourself into the position that you are today. What's oh, your background, please? Oh my word! Um, I started my first business when I was 19 years of age. I didn't go to university. I wasn't bright enough to go to university. I didn't want to go to university because I knew when I was 14 that I wanted to be self-employed. So when I was 19, I left home. A mate of mine left home. We rented a house and we started making sandwiches and we delivered them to offices and businesses in and around Manchester because that's where I'm originally from. It didn't work out, but it was great experience. Wonderful. I got into sales um sold a variety of things field sales retail sales um, then i went self-employed again it was a disaster i was nearly bankrupt by the time i was 26 so at 26 i thought i know i'll become a barrister that seems like a right laugh Timing. and you get to dress up so i went to work for russell bromley the very posh shoe shop in manchester and i did my law degree part-time it took me six years to do my degree do my honors get called to the bar and I practiced law for the sum total of six months, Max. That's how much that's how much I loved being a lawyer. Um, in that six months, I specialised in health and safety and environmental law. Um, and then I moved up to Scotland because my sister was up here and she said, Nick, let's start a recruitment business. And I went, uh, I don't really want to. But she's very persuasive, younger sister, Max. And so in March 2000, I moved up to Scotland and we started a recruitment business. Um, so and then we start and then I went off on my own and did training all around the world. And two, three years ago, we got together and we started another business. So Self-employment is just kind of what we do. So I've not had the classic route of, you know, mm -hmm. O levels, A levels, university. Um, I've done things all wrong. I'm probably completely unemployable now, Max, in fact. <laughs> but here's the big question. Are you happy? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing what I absolutely one of the, I, I on the first week of being a lawyer, I was sent on a course with a load of other lawyers from the same firm that I was working at, and um, a, a guy, kind of a motivational speaker, stood in front of us and said, "Look, you know what? What do you, I, I want you to all write down what you want to be doing in ten years' time?" And it was oh. one of those moments. That's where I thought, do you know what? I want to do what you do. I want to stand up in front of people and speak, mm -hmm. and I don't care whether it's acting or training, or being a speaker, or doing stand-up. Well, I did do stand-up on and off for 10 years as a bit of a hobby. Um, and that's how I've made my living, standing up in front of people. Um, yeah. So yeah, I absolutely love it. Yeah, okay. I really love it. Because there's an interesting connotation here for, for the younger generation, and, and I'm sure you both agree with me, they've, they've got so many uh, more tools in the toolbox to create their own businesses. Yeah, just yesterday, there was a lady on the BBC website um, saying how she's created a £300,000 turnover business in the last 18 months, selling wine coolers, of all things. And she's been, been able to do that because of um, being able to sell uh, and being able to film herself on the um, on the, on the likes of um, Instagram. So yes. there's, there's, there's a complete generation of entrepreneurs that we can create, uh, li like yourself, um, uh, Nick, Nick, back in the day, but also in the farming connotation. I'm sure both of you you and I both both of you will know lots of farmers like I do who, who are basically uh, self-employed employed very very entrepreneurial but they're sort of locked into the into the career that they've got that they might have inherited the the, the, the farm um and and some of them see, see it one or two ways they're either positively trapped or negatively trapped have, have you got an advice to to those sort of individuals Nick as to what what you've learned as to how they can make the best of their of their situation if they're sort of caught in a, a role they, they'd like but they would like to do something like you're doing what, what what would your advice be as to how they can better themselves Nick um, this is not meant to seem trite, but you just have to do it. 
Do you know what I mean? You well can done. you can you can talk about it a lot. So I could back in the day. So I we had this I, I had this idea. I wanted to make sandwiches and deliver them to offices in and around Manchester. Well, that's great, and you can talk about it, and you can strategize it, and you can theorize about it. But at some point, you actually have to go and buy some bread and some ingredients and then knock on some doors and go, do you want to buy some sandwiches? There's, you know, somebody at, at a network event asked me, you know, how did you get into training? How did you become a trainer? And I said, well, I bumped into somebody. We were having a cup of coffee. He'd just set up a legal magazine in Edinburgh. It had five members of staff, but they weren't doing very well at selling advertising into the magazine. And I said, well, my first ever job was selling ad space in a, in a directory. So why don't I come and help you? And he went, oh, would you do that? Well, how much would you charge us? I went, well, I'll charge you 200 quid for three hours. So then I had three weeks to write a, a sales training course because wow. okay. <laughs> I didn't have one. Yeah. Right? But then you write it and you deliver it and you do it. And of course, I look back and it was rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. But they loved it. And then you, but you, you have to do it. Yeah. So, so is that, is that what we can learn, learn from you? You've got to be curious and you've just got to do it. Like yes. life, life begins at the end of the comfort zone. Go and do it. Yes. Just so to net network, or if you've got I've got a vision or you've got excitement about something, go and investigate it. Yes. Go and find out. Be curious about it. Yes. Ch chase yes. it. Yes, yeah, like doing stand up. I'd always wanted to do stand up. Well, that's great. You can talk about it, but at some point you're going to have to phone a comedy club and go, "Can I do some stand up, please?" And then you're going to have to turn up and walk out in front of people and have a microphone. <laughs> and you're wow. either going to work or it's not going to work. But, you know, people get to the end of their lives and they don't regret, you know, they regret the things that they haven't done. Yes. Yes. And it's, it, gents, it's like that epitaph on the, on the gravestone um, of that chap who, who worked and the epitaph goes, and you will have heard it before, I wish I worked harder in the office. I wish I worked long, longer in the office. And that, that's not what you want, is it? So, no. so, so we, we must get back onto the, the subject of the, of the broadcast. But it's great to learn from you, Nick. That, um, so if we, if we want to just better ourselves, sounds a bit contrite, but if, if we want to experience more and be, 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 be happier, and not just financially, but be happier with oneself, just be curious. Go chase that dream, Nick. Yes, and just do it. And then, Mark, if we, if we all do that, we can end up with a, with a shirt like Nick's. That great shirt. Just a closer <laughs> That's what I want for Christmas. <laughs> so, so come on, come on, Nick. Negotiation. Right. Um, it's always always been said in, in my my wacky world of of, of my background that we're, everyone is sort of selling um, every, every day. And and the, and the 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 analogy I always use is that in the states there's 192 professors of sales. Would you believe? And in the UK there's one professor of sales. Um, and you always see that um, like when everyone when you go to the states, everyone's trying to. Uh, to charm you and, and try, trying to sell you something and, and the UK were probably a bit, a bit more reserved. I mean, I, I feel the same as a, is exactly the same with the ne negotiation that I do think we are uh, weak buyers and weak sellers within, within the UK because perhaps it's just our, our, our British culture. But Nick, let, let's hold, hold your hand and just talk to us about negotiation. I'm going to give you, give you the floor. Talk to us about negotiation, please. Okay. I, I, let me touch on what you've just said there. You're quite right, because culturally, we prefer a fixed price. We don't do haggling in the UK. I'm generalising here rather than talking in absolute terms, but generally we don't. We like the comfort of secure and security of going into a shop and it has a price tag on it, you know, an item of clothing, whatever it happens to be, and you take that to the cash desk and that's how much you're going to charge, right? But that's a very cultural thing, because in an awful lot of the world, right, the vast majority of the world, that's not how you buy things, right? You actually start negotiating. And interestingly, if I can just put my legal head on at a moment, is that, that that price on something legally is referred to as an invitation to treat in English and Welsh law. It's not an offer to sell. And these are two different legal concepts. It's an invitation to treat. So actually... When you see the price of something in the window, you're quite within your rights to go, yeah, you want 69 quid for those shoes, um, I'll give you 50. And they're quite within the rights to go, no, actually we want 75 for them. Wow. And unless there are rules against deliberately misleading people by mispricing things, but you've very got, got, often got into shops and people go, well, you have to sell it to me at that price because that's the law. And the answer is, no, we don't. I mean, most shops do because they don't want the hassle, right? But no, we don't. It's just an invitation to treat. So negotiation, I think, 
is naturally uh it's not it's not something that we're comfortable with um and therefore we tend to avoid it because we don't like doing it so we just kind of avoid it and when i'm standing up in front of uh people talking about negotiation um, and i was doing this as recently as uh, about four or five weeks ago with a load of uh, leasehold surveyory people in london and, and I started with the same question I always ask, which is how many of you have had any training on how to negotiate? And there was a room of 150 people and we had about 12 people that had some kind of training wow. on how to negotiate. Now, I used to be surprised at that number, but I'm not. OK. Um, and then I always ask the next question, which is, OK, how many of you have read a single book? on the subject of negotiation. And then we got about five people with their hands up. And it's normally the same book. It's normally um, uh, Getting to Yes by a guy called William Ury. I might refer to a few books during this, Thank you. Uh, this talk because um, you know if you're gonna start with anything, uh, William Ury, Ury is U-R-Y, is kind of the godfather or one of the godfathers of, of negotiation. He wrote a fantastic book in the 80s called Getting TS. It's quite a slim book. I mean, I've got three of his books here, actually. Um, there's uh, Getting to Yes with Yourself. There's The Power of a Positive No. And there it is, Getting to Yes. That's kind of, you know, start with that. It's a nice thin book. So this is, this is the good the good news is, sorry, my little Christmas Robin is falling over. Um, <laughs> this is the good news is that Next time any of you are involved in negotiation, you can be pretty sure that the person with whom you are negotiating, your counterparty, they don't know what they're doing either. Okay, yeah. So if you just get a little bit of knowledge, you're going to be way better than they are. That would be my big overriding, overarching thing around negotiation. The vast majority of people really don't know what they're doing. It's incredible. Got, got it. So... So we're in this situation that we're all having to negotiate on a on a day to day basis. What 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 in the short session there? What tools can you give us so that we can be better negotiators? Oh heavens above! Um, okay, 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 okay. So this can we? I, I guess get this into perspective. By the way. I'm a bit of a negotiation uh, anorak, a bit of a negotiation geek. It, 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 I find it an absorbing subject. Um, I subscribe to something called POM, which is the Programme on Negotiation, which comes out of Harvard. Now, Harvard is seen as one of the leading world centres on negotiation theory and practice. OK, if, 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 if anybody listening, watching wants to know more about the latest thinking in negotiation, but also the practical Things. You can subscribe to a monthly newsletter uh, and, and they email it to you. And uh, I was going to say it was fast. It is fascinating, but I, I do find it fascinating. But a few years ago, in fact, it'd be about a few years ago now, Max, it'll be actually five years ago, probably this week. I took myself off to Harvard um, and I went on their uh, three day uh, uh, negotiating skills course, which is negotiating with difficult people. It's just three days on negotiating with difficult wow. people. And the lecturer said to us, he said, normally, he said, we'll devote 120 hours to this subject for our full-time business and law students. So that's 120 hours just on negotiating with difficult people. And that's just one element of negotiation. However, I don't want that to seem <laughs> to listeners of viewers like, oh, my word, it's such a huge subject. I'm never going to grasp any of it. Because it is true to say there are some fundamental foundational principles which support every type of negotiation. And, and, and seriously, whether you are negotiating for the UK's exit out of the well, EU yep. or you are negotiating with your next door neighbour because they accused your cat of scratching the top of their Land Rover, which actually happened to me with my former neighbour about 15 years ago, right? There are just founding principles. So, so one that I would share, and, and I, um, will you permit me to share three here? Of course, um, yes, please. Is, is, is preparation. And, and also, and in line with that, 
just a change in mindset. I, I'm going to share the screen here. I have got some slides. We're not going to get through all of them and okay. don't need to get through all of them. Um, okay, but I do want to share one with you. Can, can you see that? Because if you can, we can. That, we can, right. So we can all see that. Right, look, look, look. So here I am. I, I've got an iceberg. We're all familiar with the whole iceberg routine. Little bit at the top that you can see above the waterline, the great bulk of it below the, wa the waterline, smashing. Okay. Negotiation is the same. And I want people to change their mindset. Lots of people naturally think that negotiation is all about tactics at the table. Okay. Whether that's lit a literal or, or, or metaphorical table, it's what you do with your counterparty at the table. And yes, that is an important part of negotiation. But professional, savvy negotiators understand that there's a huge amount of preparation that goes before you even get to the table. So imagine that you're negotiating around the table is the bit of the iceberg that you can see and all the prep is below that. And that's, that's, that's getting to know what your position is, what your uh, alternatives are, if you can't come up with a, a, a deal that's suitable for you, uh, where are you going to have this negotiation? Because the physical space matters, you know, this is something that professional negotiators give thought to. Where should we negotiate? Should it be at our place? Should it be at their place? Should we be at a neutral? Should we have a square table? Should we have a round table? Should we have chai chairs? Should we stand up? What time of the day? Who should be there? Which uh, um, factors are, do we want to discuss in this negotiation and with what parties and in which order? Okay, so there's lots to be considered before we even get to the table. So preparation would be my, 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 my first thing to people. The second thing I would say to people is you will always be really familiar with your position. Okay, your arguments, what this problem, if you will, okay, looks like from where you're standing. But clever negotiators look at each negotiation from three different positions okay one their own okay most people are right with that right they can prepare their own arguments and stuff like that although generally not thoroughly enough because they don't give enough thought to it but then you need to think about okay what does this look like from my counterparty's position what does it now if you can sit down with your counterparty and through building a relationship, get a sense of what they're all about and what's important to them and what's motivating them, so much the better. But that's not always possible to do that, okay? Then you have to imagine as best possible what this looks like from their perspective. And not enough people do that. And then the third view is as though, and I used to say a bird, but I'll now say a drone, right? As though you were a drone, well done. right? hovering over the top of this negotiation going okay what does this look like from here okay Got it. So, so understanding those different positions um i'm actually going to give you four things by the way and okay. I, I was thinking about this earlier on and i wrote three and i thought now there's four allied to that second that second one i've just said there about understanding what it's like from this point of view here's a phrase and those of you who are adjacent to some kind of writing instrument or typing instrument and have a piece of paper or a screen keyboard in front of you you should write this down okay and it's this phrase here because it's so massively powerful in negotiation it's very difficult to adhere to sometimes but it's what the professional negotiators are really really trying to, to aim for and that is soft on the person but hard on the problem soft on the person but hard on the problem too often in negotiation people give their counterparty a hard time now if you give your counterparty a hard time well what happens if somebody gives you a hard time you'll either cave in okay in which case okay your counterparty gets everything they want but you're resentful of it right and you don't carry out your side of the bargain in the way that gives them maximum benefit because you're so resentful for having been put put your arm up your back 
Uh, and also it can it can really damage relationships. Okay, and, and, and being soft on the person doesn't necessarily mean that you agree with them. Uh, Robert Mnookin, who heads up the programme on negotiation at Harvard, says um, in one of his books, I've got one of them here, I think I'll show you another book, I happen to have a Robert Mnookin, it's called Beyond Winning. He also wrote a fantastic book called Negotiating with the Devil, which is how on earth do you negotiate with people that you think are hateful? And, and he, he lists, or he, he says, and I have to absolutely agree with him, that the finest negotiator of the 20th century was Nelson Mandela. Wow. Because Mandela had to sit down with the rulers of white minority apartheid, apartheid South Africa. These are the men who have put him in on Robben Island in solitary confinement, treated him disgustedly, disgustingly, treated his people abhorrently, I mean, just dreadfully. And yet, if you want to transfer white minority rule to black majority rule, you are going to have to sit down with these people. Okay, and how do you do that? Because it's to many of us, that would be, and there's no way I'm sitting down with these people, they're beyond the pale. Well, then you're not going to get anywhere, are you? You're not going to get anywhere. And he took this soft on the person, hard on the problem. So in other words, you know, Mandela, when he was in prison, the first thing he did was learn Afrikaans. He learned their language so he could speak in their language. And when he was inaugurated as president on the stage with him, he had his former jailers. That's how magnanimous this man was. Talk about great. I mean, just phenomenal. But you can imagine that's hard to do. Why should I be soft on these people? Because, and it works on a psychological level, if you are really, really focused on the problem, really hard on the problem like this, has, we have to get this sorted, right? Whatever that problem is over which you are negotiating, we have to get this sorted. The way things are at the moment will not do. We have to get it, we have to come to a solution. But you are empathetic and you really listen to seek to understand why this person is adopting the position that they're adopting, okay? When you don't give them a hard time, it causes them to feel what's, what's known as cognitive dissonance. In other words, subconsciously, your counterpart is going, hang on, Max is giving me, he's being really focused on this problem, but he's really trying to understand where I'm coming from. And there's a dissonance, it, it mismatches. And when the human brain encounters this, it can't help but try and bring this back to equilibrium. Okay, so what you find is your counterparty stops having a go at you and starts focusing on the problem at the same, at the same time. OK, and by the way, one of the ways that you can increase the benefit of this or, 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 or promote this kind of idea is not sitting opposite. to people. Most people, when they go into negotiation, sit opposite. Why? There's no rule. There's no yeah. EU directive. OK, you know, but they just do. Well, that's just what you do. Well, that's 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 adversarial. You know, that's football, yeah. that's basketball, that's tennis, that's war is what that is. There's, this is my position and this is your position. Well, what if, Max, what if this was the problem, whatever it is that, that we're negotiating over, and actually we sit next to each other? We sit next to each other. So you're there and I'm here and this becomes the problem. Do you see that we then literally both share the same perspective? We, whereas if we're opposite, we literally have a different point of view. Here's the problem. How do we sort this out? Because that's how we would sit if we were doing a Sudoku or a crossword. We'd sit next to each other, wouldn't we? Okay, so soft on the person, hard on the problem. And the last one, and I've alluded to it already, is listen. Nick, Nick why, why is he going? Could you just stop your screen share? Because we want to see you in, the, in, in, in your of fullness. Course, of course, of course, of course. I mean... And, and as I'm you just, say... No, I'm just worried that people might get nauseous. Yeah. <laughs> so you approach lunchtime. People have eaten, really. You just don't need this. Do no, can, can, go, can you go to the last point, listening, because we're on tenderhooks now. Listen. Yeah, listening, listening. Right. Okay, okay, so, okay. One really of the things, 
one of the things that was really, really interesting on this Harvard course that I went to, I, I extended it and did a fourth day because the fourth day, if you paid a little bit of extra money, you got a whole day with William Urey, right? I mean, it was, oh my God. <laughs> right. Right. Wow. Okay. I touched him, you know, and I haven't wow. washed since. Um, and we had over that four days altogether seven lecturers. Now these are these are not men and women who are sitting literally in the case of Harvard in their ivory towers. These are men and women who are for hire by huge commercial entities and governments. Our session with William Ure, we had a former president of Ecuador sitting in the session with us. Why? Because that man had used this man's services to help in a big uh, international dispute he was having with a neighbouring country. I mean, that's the level that these people work at. What was interesting is that independently of one another, they all said the single most important skill of a negotiator is the ability to listen. Wow. And, and there's a wonderful guy called Mark Mullender. And Mark Mullender, uh, again, you can, you can look Mark Mullender up, but Mark Mullender, as far as he might have retired from this now, but he won, he was, the, the men and women that are the absolute top of the game, you know, the absolute gods of negotiation of the hostage negotiators. That, I mean, because it's life and death. I mean, we all think in our commercial worlds, oh, this is a really important negotiation. Yeah, it's not hostage negotiation. I mean, that, that's for the, you know, this is for the boys and girls. This is, this is for the women and men, right, okay? And Richard Mullender was a hostage negotiator for the Met Police, but he also taught hostage negotiation. And in his book, his entire book is just about listening. And he says in the preface, you're probably wondering why I've chosen listening to write as the subject of a book about negotiation. He said, because that's the most important skill to wow. listen, to seek, to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Nick, that, that's fantastic. And, and the, the point that I've really learned from that is soft on the person, hard on the problem. And, and I always think, think back to a story that's a story, a, a, a business scenario that I'm aware of that happened about 10 years ago, that there's a, a, a very large agricultural contractor in, in our in our sector, my sector, Mark's sector, who was looking to buy 50 tractors um, from a, a particular dealer. And uh, there'd been a, a week long of negotiations on telephone. And then they finally met up and the the, uh, the, the tractor manufacturer brought the, the MD of the whole UK and European operation to meet this, uh, this, this farmer to see whether they could eyeball it out. So as you say, they were looking across uh, each other at a, at a, at a desk and the, and the, the um, MD of this tractor manufacturer presented his best price for all these 50 tractors on a post-it note. And um, the, uh, the, the, the contractor scribbled that out and, uh, and put his, his price back and presented it to back back to the the uk um, md and the uk um, md said we can't make any money out of this we can't we can't make any profit out of this and the agriculture agricultural contractor said i don't want you to make any money i don't want you to make any profit and and the conversation the negotiations broke down and subsequently no one would deal with that agricultural contractor because he wasn't he was too hard on that that person um, and people didn't want to people had no respect for him and didn't want to deal with him on, on that basis so that's what i've really learned from from your your yeah. four points being soft on the person um, and hard on the problem mark, mark what are your thoughts i was going to say this is some really interesting stuff and building on that not wanting to damage the relationship part being really really important being soft on the, on the person listening so reflecting that we've got a question coming in as you're aware the farming industry is um it's smaller businesses and maybe family kind of businesses. Is there any difference in the approach to negotiation if you're trying to negotiate with a family member or a very, very close-knit team member? And it, oh, it's such a... And, and can, can, I, can I just really extol this one? Because, Mark, you will have seen this time, time and um, immemorial. Again, I've, I've had so many situations uh, where there's the farmer's son has had to... Uh, had, really hard, difficult commercial conversations with the, with the father, even the parents. And then they're all having Christmas dinner together. Just, and you, you, there'd be very few sectors like, like that. Yeah. So yeah, Nick, it'd be fascinating to hear your answer. Yeah, it's, 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 there, there are advantages and disadvantages with family, isn't there? Um, I suppose it's, it's, on one level, if your family bond is very, very strong, it means that you can have open and frank discussions 
and get your cards on the table, but hopefully it doesn't damage the relationship irreparably. You know, one of the reasons, one of the, those of us have had small children, you know, your children will misbehave for you and then they go around to somebody else's house and, 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 and you pick them up and you go, how have they behaved? And they go, oh, they were fantastic, they were brilliant. You're like, well, bloody hell, why don't they do that for me? Well, the answer is, is because they feel so comfortable and so secure in their bond with you as parents that they know they can push it further. OK, so so one would hope that you could you could have those open discussions. There's also I'm also what's come into my mind here, Max, straight away, actually, is is um, a, a management guru kind of guy who writes fantastic management books. I mean, they're really down to earth management. Books. So many management books are just like, yeah, whatever. I don't yeah. understand the bloody word of that. He's called Patrick Lencioni. I wonder if I have a Patrick Lencioni book behind me. Oh, I do. Look, there we are. Just so you can see the spelling of. His name, Patrick Lencioni. There he is. Excellent. Thank you. That one's called Getting Naked. Um, okay. Um, that's about service industry. But he talks about one of his books is Death by Meeting. And one of the reasons people don't like meetings in the commercial world, and the answer is because nothing ever gets done in a meeting. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And one of the things you have to do is mine for conflict. We, we live in an era where it's all about it's all about everyone has to be on board. There has to be a consensus. And so what happens is these meetings is people exchange platitudes and then they walk away from that meeting. And if it was Mark and I at a meeting, we walk away from it and go, well, I know that's a load of rubbish. That's never going to get done because I know for one for Sandra, I only speak to Sandra the other week and she said she thought it was a load of rubbish. So this is why meetings are rubbish, because everyone's about oh we can't fall out yeah. Lencioni talks about mining for conflict so so in other words going no let's get this all out so people feel heard and we tend to try and avoid that and yet it's part and parcel of negotiation you know to just get it out in the open and yeah. and, and hope that, that we can preserve the relationship but being honest with people yeah. being honest and with and, and, and Nick, in that scenario that, that, that Mark has presented, do you think it would be um, advantageous if there was a third party there, that if there was an advisor to, to, to both, uh, to, to, the, to the family members, uh, to, to sort out this horny, horny issue so that they could sort of take, take the flight, they could, they could be the filter. So it's not adversarial, adver if I can say the word, between, between the family members. Yes, they, they yeah. yeah some, sometimes it is. Yeah, sometimes. But then that's a negotiation prior to your negotiation so yeah. one of the things in negotiation before you get negotiating is you have little mini negotiation about okay where will where will we do this when should we do this who should be at that table should what shape should the table be <laughs> right and again yeah. i'm not being facetious right okay what table what shape should the table be and and should we should we have an independent mediator in this? Is that, is that what we should, should we do that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, who's good? And what's going to be the criteria that we base our deal on? Is it going to be custom and practice? Is it going to be the latest ruling from one of the courts? Is it, is, what, 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 what criteria are we using here to judge a fair deal? Do you see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And, and, and go, going back a, a, a little bit, uh, how do you create a negotiation? Because again, in this farming scenario, it may be that one, one element, one party wants to negotiate and, and the other doesn't, or doesn't see, see the need to, but actually okay. for, for, a, for a deal to progress or for a farming business to progress or a far, family unit to progress, there has to be a negotiation, but only one party wants to negotiate and the other doesn't. How, how do you bring them together? Okay, okay, okay. So, so let's, Let's go back to basics here and let's just embrace what I'm about to say to you. You cannot make someone negotiate. It's not possible to do that, to make somebody negotiate. Negotiate, Matt. No. Well, don't you see that it would make sense to negotiate? Don't care. No. Well, you're just being unreasonable. Don't care. You know, what, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to make you. Well, you can just sit at the table and just not say a word. Can't Go make ahead. you negotiate. Got, got so, it. So, so 
let me, I want to come back to that because I'll share with you some techniques that the professionals use to try and get momentum here, to try and just get things going. Okay. I heard a, a fascinating interview a few years ago with one of the principal negotiators of the Good Friday Agreement. Okay, again, a huge negotiation. It took 10 years to negotiate the Good Friday Agreement. And interestingly, for the first few years, it was done in secret in, under John Major's uh, government. They kept it secret. Again, they thought about how do we do this? Uh, well, let's not have it out in the open. Let's just, let's just have these channels open to Sinn Féin IRA. Okay, and he was interviewed this one of the negotiation, they said, you know, when you first approached Sinn Féin IRA, what did they say to you? And he just went, no, no. And so what, what? Yeah, everything we put to them, they just went, no, no, no. And the interviewer said, well, how the hell if you get people to negotiate? He said, you just keep talking to them because at some point their own intransigence becomes silly wow. even to them. And he said, one day we got maybe. And wow. as a negotiator, he said, that's like a hairline crack in a dam. Maybe is, ooh, right, okay, okay. Now, let me expand on this. And I'm going to show the lovely people another slide, okay? Excellent. Yeah, well, you say that, but you're not seeing it yet. <laughs> uh, all right, okay. I'm going to whiz through a load of slides here. So this is going to be a nightmare for everybody. Oh, look, look, look. There'll be a pie in a minute. Look, there's a pie. Mm. How nice is that? Uh, a bottom line, a batner. Oh, oh, let me stop here. Negotiation 101, Max. Negotiation 101. What are you going to... You, you won't read a book on negotiation, <laughs> right, without coming across this bad boy, the Batner. Best alternative to a negotiated agreement. There isn't a self-respecting negotiator that goes into a negotiation without a Batner. In other words, you're going to try and negotiate with your counterparty, but what if they just won't negotiate? Or what if they just say, no, that's it. That's the offer on the table and the offer stinks. The deal in front of you stinks. Okay, like your tractor manufacturer, right? Okay, so that's 50 tractors and okay, no profit, but we'll get turnover. It keeps the men and women employed in, a, in, in the factory and maybe we'll get the servicing on all those things. So, yeah, but what if you don't negotiate a deal? What are you going to do? You Again, hostage negotiators turn up. They start a relationship with the hostage taker, but they wouldn't dream of turning up without the women and men dressed in black, put up on the roofs with the rifles. That's the baton. Now, some of us are an age that remember 1979. I was in the backyard cleaning my bike when my mum said, you need to come in and see this. And we saw the SAS storming the, 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 uh, the Libyan embassy. Was it Libyan embassy? I think it was. The Iranian embassy, was it? I can't remember. Anyway, so we're all familiar with those pictures. If you didn't see it live, you'll have seen it on YouTube. That was the Batner, right? What are you going to do if these people just go, no, no, or they start killing people? You've got to have an alternative. You have to do that. So, by the way, for the UK, during Brexit, this was WTO. This was WTO. And it's very interesting that Theresa May, whilst she was still in the process of negotiating, well, some of us will remember this, she went to Japan, she went to China, she went to America, she went to Australia, she went to Africa. We remember on the telly doing that silly dance. What's she doing there? She's strengthening her BATNA. So whilst you're negotiating with your counterparty, you should still be strengthening your alternatives just in case this doesn't work out. OK, let me go right to the end anyway. Let me go right. Oh, 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 here we are. Right. OK, OK, OK. Grit, gradual reduction in tension. Sometimes, because we negotiate with human beings, we all get a little bit hot and bothered and it all comes a little bit tense and a little bit fraught and a little bit anxious, in which case you might want to make a move and do something uh, that you don't expect anything uh, reciprocal to come back to you, but you just make a move within the negotiation that causes a reduction in tension. Okay, that, that's you're not looking for a quick pro, uh, 
quo here. Most of the time you are in negotiation. OK, but on this occasion, we're not. It just reduces the tension. Again, I, I keep mentioning international things and, and I do this quite deliberately, Max, because I want you to understand the techniques that I'm sharing with the audience here. They're not sort of, oh, well, this is the way we do it. But actually, at geopolitical level, they do it a different way. No, 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 no. This is what this is what this is what they do at massive, high, high international level as well. So when Barack Obama was uh, president of the United States, Angela Merkel, the then chancellor of Germany, got wind of and found out that the CIA had been spying and had bugged senior people within the German government, right? Huge embarrassment to Barack Obama's administration. You know, hang on, we're an ally, we're a, we're a NATO ally and you're flipping spying on us, right? I mean, we don't, this is not good, okay? What did Obama do? He got on his aeroplane and he went and met her in her local pub in her little village where she lived with her husband. OK, that was a classic bit of grit, gradual reduction in tension. I'm going to get out of my plane and I'm gonna, we're not going to have this in a formal setting. We're going to have it in an informal setting. I'm going to buy her a pint or I'm going to buy her a glass of wine in a local pub, the German version of the pub, just to bring the tension down. And it worked a treat. Miso, multiple equivalent simultaneous offers, multiple equivalent simultaneous offers. This can be very effective, okay, in getting negotiation and doing. So let me let me just illustrate the point here. I've got I've got in my hand for those of you listening, podcasty wise, just one piece of paper. So this is the agreement that we want our counterparty to to sign. By the way, have you noticed? And if you've been listening, you will have done that at not one point, I'm pretty sure at not one point, have I referred to the other side. I've referred to your counterparty. Again, this is a mind shift move, okay? Is if you regard your counterparty as the other side, immediately, you're in a kind of me against them, us against them. In order for us to win, they must lose. Sets up completely the wrong mindset. You'll not hear professional negotiators talk about the other side. They refer to their counterparty, okay? So here we are, and I want my counterparty to agree to this. This is, this is the thing, you know, handing over the farm or whatever, or a big deal with a fertilizer manufacturer. Who knows what it is? And I'm, you know, I concede a little bit and my counterparty concedes a little bit. And then we're, well, hang on, instead of just one offer, why don't we get together three, two or three, no more than three. OK, too hard. So instead of trying to persuade our counterparty to sign this particular agreement and going, well, can't you see that this makes flipping sense? It's just you're just being so intransigent. You're being so, you know, oh, God, it's a pain in the ass. You don't see how damaging this is, because if you start to do that with people, they just become entrenched. OK, they dig in. How many phrases in negotiation do we get from war? Becoming entrenched, we're not giving up any ground, we're not surrendering. I mean, it's no wonder people get themselves into a pickle, is it? So what we do is we approach with them with multiple equivalent offers. So all these are equivalent, but they're slightly different. And let's say I'm negotiating with you. Max, you are my counterparty. So what I come to you instead of the one thing going, well, this is what I want you to sign, I go, what I'm thinking of at the moment, Max, is I'm either thinking this or this or this. Now, Max might well say, well, you can forget that. That's, you must be joking. You must be joking. I mean, this is far from ideal, but, you know, it's best of a bad bunch. Excellent. That tells me something. That tells me that this is closest to meeting Max's interests than these are. This is progress. And it also gets you as my counterparty involved in the decision because you've chosen to move, throw those two away and keep this. And therefore, you have you start to get more of a stake in this agreement because you've been involved in which agreement we should be signing. Excellent. Nate. That's fantastic. Have I got time to do invite criticism? You, you have. We, we, we've got 10, 10 minutes. And, and if unless you've got other slides, you want to... Uh, and knock out that slide so we can see see the handsome you again in full. Oh yes, I will do, and then I'll do. Uh, 
uh, I'll just do that invite criticism because it's it's very similar to the MISO, the multiple equivalent simultaneous offers. And again, <laughs> they, they, this is how they arrived at the Camp David Agreement in 1978 between Israel and Egypt. Okay, after 11 years of on and off negotiation from the 7th of June 1967, when the Israelis won the Six Day War and occupied the Sinai Peninsula, they then negotiated, debated over 11 years on and off about who should have this bit of land back, this bit of desert land. Sharm El Sheikh didn't exist then, right? And, and how they got beyond the impasse is they, and I can't, I don't recall which way it was, but let's say I'm Egypt and Max, you're Israel. So I write yeah. down the treaties I want it to be, and then I give it to you and I invite criticism. And you go, well, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't like that. And then you hand it back to me. And I do the same exercise. Well, I don't like that. No, this would have to be worded like this. I don't like that. And we go backwards and forwards, go backwards. And what happens in that process is a form of words emerges Excellent. that we both feel comfortable signing. Yep. Okay, That's but so it wouldn't clever. do that unless we did this backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. The temptation is to defend your own position. Don't invite criticism. What's wrong with this? I want to know what you, what do you, what, what would you change? What do you think's rubbish? Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, and 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 hence it's a sort of sort of the reverse of sales, isn't it? The open question um, to ask what 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 is wrong? Um, how can we make it better? And then it comes into your your listening stance because they will then open up and come come back to you. Then you can pick the bones out of that as to um, yes. what what's going to be. Best. And we we had a, a, a question come come in that's related to that. The negotiations are all about uh, are all about reaching agreement during negotiations. If you see or feel that you are moving further apart from getting to or closer to an agreement, what and how do you react? You, you sort of covered that, Nick. But again, it's um, it's a bit, but, but I have to use my sales analogy that I've always been taught. You have to close a sale sometimes five times. And, and I'm sure the same could be said of negotiations, that you have to make, I'm going to hand over to you. What do you think? The biggest obstacle you will face that anybody faces in negotiation is themselves. Wow. And how you react to what happens in the negotiation. I, I, I was negotiating. Uh, my wife and I changed um, car uh, literally two weeks ago. Okay, we, we decided on, on a week before, we're gonna get rid of this car, we're gonna downsize, we're not using this as much as we, we thought we would, we're gonna downsize, we're gonna get a cheaper car, we kinda knew the car we wanted. And, and you know, somebody who teaches this, I, I'm still human, so it becomes my own negotiation, yeah. and, we're, and I'm quite passionate about motor vehicles, so there's all that kind of emotional stuff going on. And, and having to distance myself from it, Okay, and one of the things negotiate, and I would advise all of you, but one of the things negotiators do, professional negotiators, is they always take time out. If when you are in a negotiation, you, you become aware of how what your counterparty is saying or doing is making you feel, and it's making you feel uncomfortable or anxious or stressed or angry, that's when you need to walk away. And even if you are negotiating in somebody's office, you know, you're in their office, it's not your own. Hey, say you need the loo. I mean, seriously, mm -hmm. say you need the loo. Go and lock yourself in a cubicle for five minutes and just get some perspective. Yuri, William Yuri talks about going to the balcony. So, so we would might call it the dress circle in, in a theatre analogy. Is that sometimes when you're in negotiation, you're right in the middle of it. It's like you and I are players on a stage. We're there. Yeah. And you need to take yourself away from that, right? To just get a bit of perspective and think about it. And Yuri wrote a book on it, actually, getting to yes with yourself. Because what he realized after, and this is what he talked about on this full day that we had with him, is that what he'd realized after 35 years of negotiating is that actually, he was the biggest obstacle. You are the biggest obstacle because we react. I'm, I'm very, very happily divorced. In other words, me and my ex-wife get on very, very well, right? And I get on very well with her new husband and my wife, while she was WhatsApping my, my Sally, my, my Mrs. Davis number two, only this week. I mean, we get on really, really well. 
I'm not going to go into details, obviously, but we, there was every single ingredient there that could have led to a very, very acrimonious divorce, very acrimonious. And I'll be honest with you, there were times, and I remember one specific time when I was uh, sitting in a Starbucks in London, when I composed an email, I'm about to press send on this. Mm -hmm. And I went, go to the balcony, Nick. Don't, Don't send that. If you want to send it 48 hours from that now, send yeah. it. I yeah. didn't. It would have caused, because sometimes you just want to react back yeah. Yeah. and you can't. Well done. Nick, we're, we're rapidly running out of time, time unfortunately, but, but, but we've learned so much in this in, in this hour. With so. with everyone with everyone that's that's dialed in with this 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 mini masterclass that you've held a hand on and, and, and given, how, how can we prosper further? Um, what 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 reading should we should we do? What who oh, should we engage with? Who, who, tell us, tell us, tell us. Okay, okay. Uh, well, first of all, you should get me back. Okay, for part <laughs> two. I mean, ops. Boom. Right. Yeah. It's it's as though I do it for a living, Max, isn't it? Um, <laughs> well, look. Here's 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 the thing. There you go. There's excellent. If you wanna, you know, if you if <laughs> if you're up for it over the yule time period there are some books i'm quite happy to send this through to either you or you mark and and you can pass it on to your listenership readership these are there's richard mullander's book here communication secrets of a hostage negotiator there's the robert manukin books there there's some great stuff in there yeah and that that, and that and that that's great And, and and do you think do you think role play plays a bit of this um uh, nick can you just uh, stop your screen screen share again because yeah, we, we want to see sorry. no no no, no yeah. problem so, yeah. so do you think do you think role play um will will, will assist with this because well some of us feel very very uncomfortable right. doing anything like role no, no, play no, but I, actually I, prior, prior preparation no no absolutely what you should do by the way while i remember it chris voss has uh chris voss i think he's on those list of books uh um Chris Voss's book, I can't remember what it's called. Oh, Never Split the Difference, it's called. But I point you in the direction of Chris Voss and everybody in the direction of Chris Voss because there's a lot of free content of his on YouTube, lots of it. And he is a former hostage negotiator who headed up the FBI's negotiation team. So if anywhere in the world an American citizen was taken hostage, his team did the negotiation invaluable resource go go to him is what i would do yeah in answer to your question there your listeners and viewers need to be trying these things out so like that soft on the person hard on the problem like sitting next to somebody that sort of thing in a low stakes negotiation in something that's not a huge it's not 50 tractors it's not you know if you don't get the right deal it's going to bankrupt your flipping farm or your business no, just, and, and, you know, over the next few weeks, right, you're going to have little mini negotiations with people, whether it's kids about staying up late or can I ride my bike or can we do this or can I do this? Low stakes negotiations and just try it out. Little things in shops, maybe, where it yeah. doesn't really matter that much and just see how you go. And then once you gain more confidence, then you can start bringing this stuff yeah. to the bigger stakes stuff in your commercial world. Yeah. Nick, that's been brilliant. Mark, that's been brilliant. Doesn't it? We've learned so much from from that. And the, the, the aspect I'm going to be really keen to to explore further is soft on the person, hard on the problem. So, Mark, what do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely awesome. And I think just those little things about not destroying those relationships um, in terms of your seating or your positioning within that negotiation um, is really important. Listening um, is, is is another one. And then, then having the kind of three get out of the jail plans in terms of your plans of how you can do it a real good practical practical stuff that you can you can focus on which is which is all good so yeah no thank you very much nick and we could have gone on for absolutely hours hours and hours and hours and and and, and nick we've just got one one request um one one of the uh, folk dialed in they'd love to know the author's name of the book get naked again can you just grab that book again the author's name of the of the book patrick lencioni patrick there you go i would would recommend any of his management books they're absolutely he writes them in the form of a story okay um and then he gives you the models at the end they're, they're absolutely tremendous tremendous yeah, 
I don't, Mark, again, that's what I, I, I love about, about Nick, is that he could just be extolling his virtues of, oh, sign me up as a negotiation trainer. But the fact that Nick is so keen for us to, to consume this reading material so that we can all, all better ourselves on such an, an important subject. As, and, and Nick, as he said, to get you on again, whether it be on, on uh, Talking Leaders or, or um, I'll leave it up to Mark and, and his, uh, his, his uh, colleagues to decide, but to get, get you on for a, for a conference, one of the HTV conferences, to talk about this, uh, this, this subject, because it is... I think you, you said it, Nick, that um, when you had that crowd of 100 people that you were presenting to and only 12 or 13 had then had any, ever done any negotiation training, Mark, it comes back to what we've seen within the agricultural sector, that there are very few people who actually have had formal training development in lots of areas, whether it be sales and negotiation. But negotiation is so key Absolutely. because that, that's what we're doing doing day in day out and if we can be a better negotiator be soft on the person hard on the problem we're all going to have a, a better life better time mark yes hopefully so hopefully so yes. we can never stop learning can we and some absolutely. of the, the the books and the things that we've we've fed are absolutely massive and, uh, and brilliant and thank you nick and hopefully we'll see you again soon there's yeah, one one little note just uh from ahdb just for all levy players that are listening and dialing in just make sure that if you haven't done already, um, you've got your opportunity to shape the future and have your say in terms of how levy, uh, it, your levy is, is, is spent and directed as we move forward. The registrations are open now, so just have a look on the AHDB website um, on the Shape the Future um, ways to register. It'll take you two minutes and um, you can have your say about how levy spent and whether we do think more things like this. But no, Excellent. Brilliant. Mark, thank you. And Mark, Nick, just to wrap up, Nick, what's your favourite Christmas dinner? Go, Nick. Oh, traditional. Absolutely true. Describe it. Describe it. Oh, oh uh, um, turkey. Most people think turkey is too dry, but I live in a farming community. I'm surrounded by farms here. And my 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 brother-in-law knows the guy that breeds the, the turkeys locally in East Lothian that goes to our local butcher. So I circumvent the butcher, soak it in brine in a bucket in the oh. garage for 48 hours. Proper turkey. Pigs in blanket. No sprouts. I can't abide them. I'm sorry if you're a sprout grower. I, I, I'm not your market. OK, carrots I can do, roasted parsnips, cranberry sauce. Yeah, beautiful. Can't wait. Excellent. So, so Mark, should we all go, should we all go up to Edinburgh for, uh, for, for Christmas and knock on next door? Fantastic. I'll, I'll drive. Well, and we yeah. won't be in. I'll be at my sister's. Feel <laughs> <laughs> so, free. That negotiation didn't work. Everyone, uh, thank you very much. It's been great running this, uh, this series with, with Mark and Isaac and Amy with the AHDB on, uh, on Talking Leaders. Uh, Nick, you've been fantastic. Mark, you, you've been uh, fantastic. And Mark, we look forward to seeing you on Sean the Sheep um, over the Christmas Christmas period. Well done, everyone. Great, Nick. Thank Masterclass. Thank Merry you very Christmas, much. Everybody. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye.